Hey guys, Otaku Nate here. A fair warning in advance. Justin didn't have his usual microphone with him as a result of a move, so he had to use a headphone microphone instead, and, well, as a result, the audio came in all staticky as a result. We do hope that you enjoy this episode, and I promise the next time we have him on, he'll have his usual microphone in full working order. And with that said, on with the show. This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 17. Kemonomichi, my kingdom for a title shot. What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show. Joining me this week is Justin Young. Hey. And this week, we are going to be talking about Kemonomichi, an anime from 2019 by Studio NG, based on a light novel by Natsume Akatsuki, best known as the author of Konosuba. So, um, here's a little expectation going into the show, shall we say. The show was directed by Kazuya Miura, who is currently directing Full Dive, and was written by Toka Machida, who has written such acclaimed works as Lucky Star, Chika the Coffin Princess, Hamatora, and... Amnesia. I'm not gonna hold that one against them. So as always, we start with the story. And Justin, what's the premise of this show? Well, we got a wrestler whose actual name is Genzo Shibata, but he wrestles under the name Animal Mask. More on that later. He, in the middle of the match, mind you, he gets summoned away to a typical isekai fantasy world by a princess who, of course, has this really elaborate Western name of Adelaina Elgaratis. I hope I got that right. I think you did. Who, of, hey, of course, in typical isekai fashion, is like, you need to defeat the demon, the demon beast going by the show description here, and unlike a typical isekai protagonist, Genzo promptly says, screw that, and suplexes her in front of the entire royal court. Because, why not? And of course, she lands panties up. Literally panties up. It's right there in the trailer. <laughs> Uh, so that was, that was terrible. After that, Genzo's like, hell no, I ain't defeating no demon beasts. And then he just bolts. And then, of course, everyone flips their shit and goes after him. Um, and then he gets chased out in the middle of square. And he actually, at that point, he decides... He has to take his costume off, his wrestling costume off, 
to keep from, to sort of evade the guards. And of course, the rest of the show deals with him trying his best to befriend every animal he can find. Hence the name Animal Mask. Because his wrestling shtick, of course, is friend to all animals. In his so-called quest by Shigure, a half-human, half-wolf, of course, wolf girl. I hope I got that right. Yeah, she's a wolf. I want easily my favorite character in the whole show, Linda Belair, which is, of course, I'm not going to explain the, that reference until later on. So, I'm glad I got her name right. And her, I guess, maid, her maidservant, Camilla. And, of course, a literal talking ant named Sieg. That pretty much is our main, our main uh, uh, cast right there. And, of course, the show is going to follow Genzo using his wrestling techniques to both defeat um, the various demon beasts he encounters, quote-unquote, and, of course, more all the humor, the, whoa, wrestling does not exist here, humor that is present in the show. It goes super fast, so I'm, so I'm going to try not to spoil the whole thing right here in this little description. I'm a little more comfortable with spoilers here than I would be for some other show, given my own feelings about uh, Kemono Michi. But, uh, Justin, with the story out of the way, you pretty much said everything that needs to be said about the story. So, where did you first hear about Kemono Michi, and what were your initial impressions? Well, I first heard about it after Anime News Network's usual coming soon preview announcement trailer ad runs. That was about three months prior, give or take. And at the time, I was watching WWE SmackDown on Fox since it was the only... I was just starting to like get into that world of wrestling. So I had to start here, of all places. And I gotta say, once Funimation picked it up, it actually... I was like, oh, it's gonna get a dub, which means it's going to be hilarious. Or at the very least, watchable. So, I'm going to go out there and say I did not actually watch the Japanese version of the show until today, as I was going back through it. Which, I kind of think was eh, a little hit or miss. And, um, so I literally, I was like, it's going to be be on their dub, their simul dub slate for 2019. So, I better get into it. And get into it, I did. Um, it took me a while to get to it, actually, uh, considering that I believe... Was it My Hero Academia airing at the time? I think it was, but I would have to double-check. That's why I didn't, like, run straight into it, because My Hero Academia, when I got around to it, I think I was pleasantly surprised. Because I kind of expected it to be, in my opinion, worse than what I got. I thought it was going to be little too ill-fitting or unfunny. I quite like the jokes in it, I gotta say. So you're the good cop for this show, I guess, because my feelings are kind of the opposite of yours. Not total opposite, but, well, I'm not as favorable to this show as you are, but I digress. But 
The way I first heard of Kemono Michi was the same way you did. I saw an article for it on Anime News Network, and I'm like, oh, cool, an isekai anime about a wrestler. That's something a little different. And if you know anything about wrestling history, you know that Japan has a very proud history of pro wrestling in their country, or puroresu, as it is called, all the way from the 50s with Ricky Dozon up until today. And I did watch the trailer, and it looked promising enough, but what really caught me was actually not any of the jokes or the visuals. At the end of the show where they show off their sponsors, you, you know the whole deal, you know, that one, they played a remix of Stan Hansen's theme during that little bumper. And that's when I went, okay, this show intrigues me. But then one of my friends who is also a mark for wrestling he started watching it and he said, yeah, uh, this show is, um, not that great. And I said, oh, really? Well, it, it, it can't be that bad, can it? And I kind of talked with him about it and, well, let's just say his thoughts kind of hurt my expectations going into it. And those expectations sort of held throughout the series. But that's it for my end of the deal, so... Let's get into the show proper, and we start with the animation, and I don't think there's anything to say other than the animation is very basic. It is basic, but it's like someone took they took a starting platform and made it their own. I quite like the character designs, mostly. Mostly, except towards the later end of the show. And there's, honestly, I think that it is really, it's like not a whole lot you can say about it. I wouldn't say this is like top tier animation. It could have been so much worse. It's not that house husband anime that is currently running on Netflix. I had a feeling that was not going to have good animation the minute it was announced. <laughs> the animation is what I would effectively call standard. Not great, but not awful. Although I will say, considering that this is an anime that has a wrestler as its main character, it's fun recognizing some of the wrestling moves he does. Like, oh, it's a figure four. It's a sunset flip. There's a German suplex. Sadly, though, no burning hammers, which disappoints me. I'm not gonna lie, I would love to see that in the show. Opportunity missed by the writers. Oh, this whole this whole show feels like one big missed opportunity, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh-huh. I tend to agree there, especially towards the end. You did mention the character designs. Genzo's immediately stands out, but not for the reason you'd think. And that's because his design is a spitting image of current Japanese wrestling star Kota Ibushi. And mainly, I'm not actually... Uh, I didn't get that at first. That is a brilliant observation. And now I can unsee it. Thanks, Nate. Well, yeah, the resemblance is definitely there, mostly in the way his hair is styled, but it also makes sense when you look at who sponsored this show, which I'll talk about in a second. Because the first thing that caught my eye in the animation wasn't any of the wrestling moves, but was that the show was sponsored by Japanese wrestling company DDT, Dramatic Dream Team a wrestling company that is known more for its comedy matches than for anything else. 
I mentioned Kota Ibushi earlier. This was the Fed where Kota Ibushi wrestled a blow-up doll and gave Jim Cornette a conniption because of it. I actually did not know that. But also, I think it it sort of works, weirdly enough, because it's based on, like, an isekai comedy manga that's promoting wrestling, so I think they would have gone with... I don't know if it's a bitter thing or whatever, but upon knowing that, I was like, okay, that's an interesting choice. It's appropriate, but also sort of inappropriate. Because as a Western, like, someone just started to get into Western wrestling, it's kind of like, it's weird. It's like getting into, um, instead of starting and watching a WWE show, you watch a parody of that to sort of understand it before you watch the whole thing. Like your first impression of wrestling is watching the movie Ready to Rumble. <laughs> oh my goodness. Or even the most recent WWE movies. I did not like them. DDT does have serious wrestling, but they're most known for comedy matches, like having matches in an electronic shop. A champagne shower match where wrestlers have to drink a glass of champagne after every near fall. Holding an empty arena match in a Tokyo Dome with no ring. So instead of using rope breaks, the wrestlers have to tag the base to break a hold. What is, what even is this? It's like Japanese comedy, but applied to wrestling. (laughs) Jim Cornette may have a fit over that Kota Ibushi blow-up doll match, but the Japanese love their comedy wrestling. And that's actually news to me. This is, uh, as someone who's just getting into uh, Japanese wrestling, and wrestling in general, it's actually news to me. That explains a lot of our finished product. We've talked more about uh, actual wrestling than we have the the animation, which kind of just shows how <coughs> noteworthy it is. But the character designs, other than Genzo, who is, of course, my favorite, that's because of the realistic basis. Uh, not really much to talk about. I mean, there are some furries in here. Some. <laughs> some. Oh, Lord. Oh, my Lord. There are furries in here. The one that gives me nightmares is Mrs. Kobold. Uh-huh. She looks like a character that walked out of a Richard Scary book. I noticed that at first, except weirdly. That's probably, I will say, it, so that's why I think a lot of the, the jokes, quote-unquote, about her... They didn't land as well for me, probably for that reason. But mostly, um, we have a lot of standardized character designs across the board, which I think it worked, but also I think could have undermined a few scenes and definitely the gags in the case of Miss Cobalt. Oh my gosh. Yeah, her scenes are definitely some of the most awkward in this series. The color scheme, at points it feels vibrant with use of pastel colors, other times just feels washed out. Like the scene where they're in the guild hall, all I could think of with the tone of colors they used were, hold on a second, are we in Claymore now? You bet, definitely. It's definitely that Claymore color palette, but sort of, it's hard to describe, but it's like 240p'd. It tries to be bright, but there's always sort of a filter over it. And when it tries to, like, when they try to darken up the color palette, I think it actually, it sort of derails things on the animation front. It's like one thing, one thing fails, and it nearly takes at least two other things with it. 
It's like they tried to bring that 80s pastel aesthetic you'd see in most anime from that time period into the modern day, but it just doesn't translate well. I definitely would have to agree. They tried to make it more upright character designs like you'd see in 80s anime, but they didn't do the work that made those designs work. It can be done, as Cabaneri demonstrated a couple years ago. It can be done, but you have to do it just right. You have to get the cell shading just right. You have to get the amount of contrast just right. And it has to be... It's like a, being on the razor's edge of a color palette. And you just have to get it right, which I'm going to have to say a lot of shows don't do that, which is probably why you don't see that type of aesthetic chosen too much. They talk about the character designs. The reason why Cabaneri works is because Cabaneri had the almighty Haruhiko Mikimoto doing the character designs, and those designs fit with the show's aesthetic. But Kemono Michi tries for a more muted yet vibrant color palette, and the two clash like nothing. It, it's just, I don't want to say it's not a pretty show to look at, but it just feels bleh with its aesthetics. So, not much to report on the animation front. Soundtrack was okay. D did you really pay attention to it? I'd say okay is the operative word here. Because towards the beginning and end of the show, I think was where the most work was put in. It became clear that after episode two, they just let the script handle everything else. You get incidental music, but it's nothing to write home about. You get attempts at character songs, which are either terrible or nothing to write home about. But when the show tries to sort of lean into the, I guess, the wrestling uh, influence, it try that's when I think the uh, music really shines. I like the opening. The ending was not bad. It's I've heard worse, in my opinion. And... I'd say they, they definitely save the better tracks on the soundtrack for last. In the last episode, episode 12, I think they actually cared more for the music. I can definitely see what you are talking about. I definitely agree with you that the faster tracks are the standouts. The big track for me, though, is the theme for Animal Mask, which, if you know your Japanese wrestling themes, is a take on the theme of one of the most successful gaijin to wrestle in Japan, and that, of course, is Stan Hansen. Because it's the same theme from a structural standpoint. Minus the acoustic guitar lead-in, it's pretty much the same idea, this little... It's practically identical, they just changed the notes Jimmy Hart style. Definitely... Really, it's it's really close to the structure. Thanks, thanks for that breakdown, by the way. That was awesome. Thank you, thank you. But yeah, they just they changed it just enough to not get hit by copyright, but enough to make it know that they actually did the research. I kind of have to give them props for that. And that leads us to the voice cast. Genzo is voiced by Katsuyuki Konishi. If you had a GameCube growing up, you'd know him as Lloyd from Tales of Symphonia. He is Big Volfog in Gaugaigar, Dreyfus in Seven Deadly Sins, 
And he is Jonathan Joestar in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 1 and Diablo in Vento Oreo. And it kind of shows. Also, uh, and I have little... It's sort of, you gave me the perfect setup to say that he's done better, but also I really liked his... Try to strike a balance between over-the-top hammy and traditional, like, tough guy sound. And I actually quite liked it, except when, when the show would get goofy. And when it gets goofy, it gets real goofy. Mm-hmm. Shigure is voiced by Akira Sekine. She is the princess in Princess Principal, Anak Jahad in Tower of God, and the thing I saw her in most recently, Kuon in High Rise Invasion, which I really want to talk about. Definitely. High Rise Invasion. That should be another episode. And that actually is going to lead into what I think of her performance. Actually, kind of, actually why I liked it. It's bouncy, but also it sets up a lot of the jokes really well, which we're going to get to. It's something that I think Funimation carried really well into the dub. Carmila is voiced by Arisa Sakuraba, best known as Nozomi Ishizawa in Hanebad. Hanako is voiced by Yuki Yagi. Her only real notable role is Chocola in Nekopara the Animation. Genzo's rival, Macadamian Ogre, or Mao, is voiced by Tetsu Inada, who was Endeavor in My Hero Academia, Alexis in Gridman, and Harry Ord in Turn A Gundam. Princess Altena is voiced by Rie Suegara, who, well, hasn't really been in the best of shows. She was Yui Komori in Diabolic Lovers, Tomie in the Junji Ito collection, and she's currently Takami in Brave Witches. Jun Fukushima plays the adventurer Heat Haze, and you want to talk about crossovers with Konosuba? He's the voice of Kazuma! Yeah, that's actually, I will say, before I jump into the dub, that's something I wish could have happened. It would have been a nice little, would have been a nice little in-joke, shall we say. Yes. But, I'm going to say that till we get to the dub, right, Nate? Speaking of isekai roles for Jun Fukushima, he's also Gabiru in That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, and Shokichi in the non-isekai anime Yoamushi Pedal, and Toshinari Fukamachi plays the bureaucrat Klaus. He is Hajime Nagumo in Arifuretta. Hmm, there we go. In the English dub, Genzo is played by Tyson Reinhardt, and he is easily the best part of this dub. Like, you can tell he really tried his best for this show. He's just giving it his all out there. Definitely have to agree. Full send. And it really showed because, I'm going to say, Tyson carried the show in nearly every conceivable way. His Genzo absolutely got me hooked. I was not expecting that casting choice from Funimation, so good job on them for thinking out of the box this time. I always like it when Tyson plays a big-time role. He's usually pretty good at what he does because he usually commits himself to the role, even if the character or the show may not be all that great. Shigure is played by Emily Hornsby, 
This, I think, is her first major role since Baki. You got it. This is, in fact, her first major, I'm not going to say, like, leading role. As far as characters go, Sugar Ray is an integral part of the show, and she absolutely killed it. Absolutely killed it. Funny, funny, perfect timing, and if there's anyone else, I'd say, who actually put as much full send, quote-unquote, into this, I'd say it's her. Never have I seen a debut this good since Sarah Roach and Fire Force. Carmila is played by Mallory Rodak. Hanako is voiced by Afia Yu. We've got Damon Mills as Mao, who I just saw in Skate the Infinity, an anime that I really want to talk about. We have Josh Grayley as Mr. Kobold, Leia Clark as Misha, Gabe Kunda as Wolfgang, Lindsay Seidel as Joanna, and Amberly Connors as Princess What's-Her-Name. Princess What's-Her-Name. We're gonna go with the more politically correct version of that. <laughs> they call her Princess Panty in this show, so I'm gonna go with the more politically correct version of that. The dub does make things a lot more tolerable. I, the thing with Funimation's dubs for bad or middling shows is that I like it when Funimation tries to make chicken salad out of chicken shit, but, you know, you can only do so much with either a bad script or a bad series. And, you know, as I like to say, a good dub does not a good show make. That I can, by and large, agree with. I think in this case, I do actually largely agree with this because it did a really good job of tightening up some of the jokes in Japanese that I think would have been duds. And in fact, they were duds in the case of... Because when I watched, a, watched episode one in Japanese, there were a lot of jokes I think did not land at first, especially the ones that rely less on physical comedy in the animation. It's all about a lot of the show does rely on physical comedy, but it, it really, really helps when you tighten up the humor with a good dub. doesn't quite patch everything up as we're going to see later on, but it fixes a lot of problems. I do want to say that I take issue with some of the localization choices. The one that is sort of superficial for me is their translation of the ant's name as Sieg. Yes, there's a giant ant in this show. His name is Sieg, but his name in Japanese is Jig, which is a reference to the Gonagai robot Steel Jig, which I would have preferred, but, you know, to each his own. If you know linguistics, Jig in Japanese is a literal translation of Sieg, a la Jigujion in Gundam. But the other issue I take is their translation of Kemono Mask as Animal Mask, because Kemono in Japanese can also mean Beast. So I don't know if it was an issue with the lip flaps, but come on, Beast Mask is a cooler name than Animal Mask. Heck yeah! I would rather the show have been called that, if I'm honest with you. I like to I like to think it was a lip flap thing. I'm gonna hope it's that. I have to agree with you. Beast 
mask is way better and fits the story much better. It's not as like you know lighthearted as the original title, but it doesn't have to be. I like it better. But then again, this is Funimation we're talking about. Never forget, they almost localized Beerus as Bills before somebody told them, uh, guys, Beerus's name is a pun? Yeah. That is one thing I can give to a... Thanks for... Thanks for keeping things from getting translinguistically weird. But that's it for the sound segment. It's a decent dub, but it doesn't do enough to save what is an otherwise middling series. So we're done with the sound, so let's get into the ring with all the characters and we start with Genzo. I will give Kemonomichi and the author Akatsuki this. Genzo is at least different from your modern isekai protagonist, because all too often a lot of your modern isekai protagonists come from the prototypical main character pool medium length dark hair with a blank slate personality there are some exceptions to this of course but most of the time some of the isekai main heroes leave something to be desired but genzo is different because genzo is a grown man definitely i have to applaud the author and the show runners for getting outside the box on that because literally this show could not have made it any other way. I actually like Genzo having a personality, even if I do find it a little off-putting at times and sort of almost gets in the way. But it allows for... I like the work that was clearly put into his characterization and his writing, even if I think there could have been a bit more. But I'm going to lay that, I'm going to lay that one squarely on the writer's not um, sending it. I think we could have used a bit more development on Genzo, like why he chose to carry his love of animals into his profession of wrestling and how, then I guess, I want to know like if there was a bit more to him, I guess. It's funny, it's notable, but I could use a bit more on the development front. And this sort of brings up the issue that I have with Genzo, because Genzo is at his best when he is being a wrestler because he falls into what you want a wrestler in this sort of show to be crazy happy-go-lucky over the top but i feel that akatsuki didn't have the confidence in him being a wrestler by himself but i'm guessing akatsuki got cold feet on genzo just being a wrestler and he decided hmm how can I make his character more interesting? I know! Let's make him an animal lover, too! And this is where I feel Genzo's character kind of falls apart. Because it just feels like they made him an animal lover as a bit of a compromise, because he didn't feel like he could get any mileage of him just being a wrestler and so you have this very awkward character who's this fiery serious over-the-top wrestler who can take on anybody oh but he's also this wild and crazy animal lover who just loves loving and hugging and petting animals and all that stuff it just falls into this what i like to call the uncomfortable middle 
Are you familiar with the Whose Line Is It Anyway game, Old Job, New Job? Definitely. For those who've never seen Whose Line or the Old Job, New Job uh, segment, Old Job, New Job is when you have two workers who are waiting for their new fellow employee that worked for a long time someplace else. Like, for example, there are two fashion designers who are waiting for their old employee that used to be, say, a police officer. That's sort of how I feel with Genzo. He's an animal lover first that became a pro wrestler. And it's obvious that his real ambitions lie with being an animal lover. His goal, as he says at the very beginning, is to run a pet shop. And I'm like, you don't want to be like the champion or the best wrestler in the world? You just want to run a pet shop? Well, that's a little bit mundane. And I just feel that it takes away his potential as a character. Either make him a wrestler or make him an animal lover. Don't make him both. Do you agree? I'd say to an extent because it sort of almost betrays the... Um... One of the core tenets of the show, which is like wrestling fanboyism in a society devoid of wrestling and wrestling culture. But it also, it sets up the humor very well in the juxtaposition, almost in a weird, like a weird micro on dirty job sort of way, where you expect him to be this hard, tough exterior, but no, he's, well, animal lovers a bit I think it's a bit light in this case. I think he's an animal otaku, which actually, I think, helps explain better the humor that the show, the humor direction that the show chose to go in. With him being an animal otaku that just it happens to have a paying job as a wrestler, I think it messes with the uh, fanboyism. It's a good concession, or not the fanboyism, like, you know, it almost upsets it as a send-up of wrestling, pro wrestling in particular. But it does open the show much better to being a humorous parody, or partial parody, if you will, of the oh-so-dominant isekai, which I, I kind of have to give the show credit for. I like that kind of humor, even if it falls apart when you look at it too deeply. I think if I had gone in without any expectations or not as a wrestling fan or knowing the history of Japanese wrestling, I would enjoy it a little more. But knowing the potential for jokes about Japanese wrestling, I feel Genzo's character is a misfire. He's not irredeemable. He's likable enough. I just wish they did more with the wrestling part of it. Definitely. I have to agree. I would have loved a behind-the-scenes look at his career a little bit, just to give us a bit more definition about his career, other than he's in a championship fight, which we don't actually get to know anything about it until the very end of the show, and even then, we still don't get the full story. Instead of, oh, here's a fight, he's gone now, he's Isakai now, isn't that funny? I, too, agree that it could have been a really good way to help sort of introduce people to Japanese pro wrestling a bit more, while still having, having that soul to it. But we'll talk more about Genzo as a wrestler when we get to the humor, but let's go through the supporting cast as quickly as we can. Let's start off with Shigure. I don't have much to say about Shigure, I just found her to be rather bland. 
I loved her, actually. Because she acted as a really good... It's almost an anti-foil. It's like she's a foil to Genzo. Especially Genzo's erratic tendencies. But also... She's also vulnerable enough to where Genzo's erratic tendencies and love of wrestling can sort of... It sort of flips the joke back on her a couple times. Which... I thought it's brilliant. It's almost like a joke within a joke. But it's also doesn't, you know, have to derail everything to sort of here's a joke, pow, here's another one, boom. It still it keeps a bit of a flow to it, which I quite liked. But Shigure is a character, great foil to to Genzo's erratic behavior, which I think that as much as I loved, as much as I loved Hanako and Camilla, they both were not as they were. They both were not as strong foils to Genzo's personality as Shigure was, and that's why I have to respect her for that. Is the straight woman to Genzo's more comedy-based character, and I think with your explanation, it works a little better but she can only carry the show so far. And I, at points, I just found her character to be stiff. Like, she doesn't seem to have a set personality, if that makes any sense. I'd say only stiff because the, because the show tended to have... Basically, if you weren't already, like, weird in One Direction, like Enzo is, you're not going to have as much to work with. Especially, um, it becomes apparent in her in her character, in the oh, in the bunch of side characters they bring on later on. Even in Mao's case, he does not get enough material to work with, thanks to some of our main cast being more erratic. I guess is the right word. I agree with you on Shigure not necessarily being the opposite of Genzo, because. When you have a character as crazy as Genzo, you want somebody who goes crazy in the opposite direction. And Shigure's character just feels too restrained in this over-the-top series. And I think that's sort of what brings me to the next two characters, Carmila and Hanako. Who do you want to talk about first? Ooh, I could talk about Hanako for quite a while. Camilla represents... A character dynamic that I actually found really interesting that you don't see a lot. So I'm going to start with her, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. All right, Carmilla. Oh my gosh. She's the quintessential, in my opinion, female butt monkey character. You don't see a whole lot of them in modern shows for reasons that I'm trying to figure out. Because... She's also a great example of contrast. I'd probably say the best example of contrast in the whole show. She's absolutely aqua levels of nuts. In the complete opposite direction of Genzo. Genzo wants to bring, potentially, his version of the world to this fantasy world because he thinks it is either unfair, dumb, or boring. Camilla is the exact opposite. She tries to straighten Genzo up because she's a walking anime trope in a way and I kind of have to just 
I have to admire her for that because you don't see a lot of um, you know, bizarro, weird, mean uh, female characters who aren't done in a very mean spirited way, or just stop making sense entirely after a while. She's absolutely hilarious, but she's also she's literally a bundle of contrasts. As I said earlier, she on one hand she tries to be the muscle character in a show that both that both is not ready for it and also a situation that does not require it, but also fails every time. She almost reminds me of she's like if darkness and I want to say. Um, uh, Gama, is that Gamagori from Kill a Kill? That dude voiced by Patrick Seitz? Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you are correct. It is Gamagori. Yeah. Here, it, she reminds me of both of those two. If someone had thrown those two in a blender. It's actually quite refreshing. Akatsuki is really good at sort of taking his female characters and then giving them unexpected traits like Megamine, or Darkness, or even to an extent, well, Aqua gets to definite a distinctly female trait, quote-unquote, just taken up to 11 as so as to be unrecognizable. And this is a, and Camilla's a great um, addition to that long line of success. Also, I'm not going to lie to you, I like their character design because Characters like that usually do not go through the amount of abuse that she goes through. Oh my dear lord. Well, Carmilla, I mean, let's be real. She's there to be the big titty goth girl. The big titty goth girl who gets shot upon like a Monty Python character. I will admit that of the three girls that tag along with Genzo, I found Carmilla to be the most memorable I think she should have been the main foil to Genzo instead of Shigure, because Shigure's just kind of felt like she was there. Carmilla, meanwhile, is a lot better with her over-the-top, getting-drunk persona. As you said, she reminded you of a mix of Darkness from Konosuba and Gamagori. I'd say she's a fusion of Darkness and Aqua, because she has that sort of haughty uselessness of Aqua, and the sadistic tendencies of darkness mixed together. She's probably the most interesting character of the female trio that accompanies Genzo. Definitely. I too think she could have come along earlier. Because is nice and all, but also she takes a minute to sort of develop. And to an extent, she takes a really long time to develop, about five episodes. But when Carmilla shows up, he just grabs the spotlight. Even when she's being the butt of the joke, she's still grabbing that spotlight. And I have to admire that gusto. That's amazing. I, 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 I would have loved how the show had turned out if she'd been the first character that Genzo meets. I would say that if it was Carmilla as Genzo's foil as opposed to Shigure, I would have enjoyed the show a lot more than I ended up doing. And finally for the trio... There is Hanako. Not really much to say about her. She's just there to look cute and eat lots. Um, yeah. They definitely played that up, especially in her English casting. I mean, she's the typical Afia Yu character. Except for the dragon parts. That's a little interesting. I'd say... I don't know. 
she pairs up well with everybody, but also stands on her own. Almost like the... What food am I looking for? I want to see, like, the sriracha of the group. Or, like, the chipotle guacamole of the group, in a way. Um, goes with everything, but also it's just solid on its own. I think she got better over the course of the show. She became a sort of a... A too much of a featuring spot early on, but really came into her own after episode 10 or so. But it just feels that prior to that development, she's just stagnant. Oh yeah, definitely. First, she takes two episodes to get going. Which is, normally, I'd say that's horrendous. Except you can see the sparks. It just They put little bits of them in those two episodes. But mostly they're just relying on Carmilla to be the butt monkey, Genzo to be loud and weird and contrasting, and poor old Segura gets shafted to the back of the development totem pole by this point. It doesn't really come back into focus until episode uh, six or so. Yeah, actually eight or so. She does have a subplot with the next character I want to talk about, uh, Johanna. She's mostly just there to be the demoness queen. I mean, I like the concept of her rivalry with Hanako, her wanting to be better than everything with Hanako, or excuse me, Linda Balea, I should say. I am really hoping that the name Linda Balea is a pun on Hulk Hogan's real name, Terry Balea. I'm pretty sure it is, but also, uh, according to my research, it's actually a direct reference to Linda Blair. That part is actually kind of meta. It's a double reference, actually. Think about it. Wow. Well, I think the Terry Balea similarity is more coincidental, whereas Linda Blair is probably how the Japanese would say her name phonetically. Rinda Burea. Yep. That's exactly uh, what my research shows. Do we really want to talk about Johanna? Because I don't think there's much to say about her other than she's the villain. I can't say a whole lot about her myself. Other than I think they wasted a good vocal talent in the dub on her, in my opinion. She's just kind of there. She's not even a decent like operator of the, of the mechanics of the story. He's just the downtrodden union man of villains just there for no real reason these days i mean we do have another set of villains with what are effectively the doronbo slash team rocket of this with wolfgang misha and the eyepatch guy whose name i forget all i know is that he looks like dompe from ashitano joe yeah oh man this crew so many wasted voices. I feel bad for Gabe Kunda. He deserves better. My man deserves better than him. going to be reduced to a walking furry joke. I mean, that was Wolfgang and Misha's whole thing. They're just furry bait or furry humor or what have you. But oddly enough, they I think they were more developed than the actual villains in the story. And that I found, I never really you know, got used to that through the course of the plot, you know what I mean? I like how they start off as being antagonists to Genzo and company, but by the end of the show, they are pretty much his reluctant allies. Yep. 
a common, it's an increasingly common thing in anime, but also, I guess that's probably why they're honestly better characters than the actual antagonists of the story. But I do want to circle back to Genzo's trio for a second, because I do want to make a point, though. I really hate to compare this to Konosuba, considering it's by the same author, but... I just found the trio that supports Genzo to be interchangeable. The only real one that sticks is Carmilla. Shigure, as said, just feels like a non-entity, and Hanako's just there to be the lowly. Wherein Konosuba, the three partners that Kazuya has, Aqua, Megamine, and Darkness, if you change their personalities, you change everything about their character. Megamine being a parody of the Chunibyo character, Aqua being this haughty goddess who is hilariously useless, and Darkness, who is a swordswoman that prefers getting hit than actually hitting anything. And I just want to take a quick sidebar to say that everybody likes to dogpile on Aqua for being useless. I say no. Darkness is the real useless one in Konosuba. Thank you. I've been saying that since the first time I ever saw that show. I would rather have an underpowered goddess whose powers are situational at best than a swordswoman who can't hit anything. Exactly. Aqua is inherently... I need to go fast and furious for a second, but here we go. She's the bottle of knots in the trunk that happens to have the bad seal of the group. Great to have in a pinch, even if it only works intermittently under certain situations, than to have the engine of the group with a bad rod, I, a.k.a. darkness. That engine with a bad rod, it's gonna go out every time until you have to start making hard decisions. Car jokes, we're getting somewhere. Uh, do, are, is there any other members of the supporting cast that we want? Because the only real one I think is, ta is worth talking about is Mao. That was pretty much it for me. The only supporting role in the whole franchise, sadly, that the writers seem to actually care about, and even then, not all that much. Um, which I think is ironic and terrible. I like that they played on the fact that he has a Captain Ahab-level obsession with Animal Mask and wanting to fight him. But once the two inevitably meet, it just feels like that arc abruptly comes to a close. Not only does it come to a close, it wrecks about a third of the show's energy. Because they start hyping it up, you know, like as, oh, we're getting back to that wrestling plot we left behind. And this guy actually, we have a character now that actually seems to be really deep and really interesting. When he shows up, he turns out to be, oh, I'm going to hate myself for saying this, a paper tiger of sorts. <laughs> and it ends up really, it really takes the energy out of the show. The show had a lot of energy until up to that point. But then when he gets there, you start to literally see it leach out. And it's kind of, even though it's someone who loves the show, it's, it's actually heart-wrenching. Like, uh, where'd it go? 
I mean, there are others we could talk about, like the bureaucrat Klaus, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kobold. By the way, I just want to make this joke right now. The humor between Genzo and Mrs. Kobold, in Genzo's eyes, Mrs. Kobold is a Millie. Thanks for making that a little bit remotely funny. That whole plot thread was cringe. You know, mother I'd like to yiff. <laughs> oh no. Oh no 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 no. Sorry, Saber Spark, we're stealing your thing for now. Thanks everybody, I'll be here all week. Uh <laughs> Yes, Saber Spark, if you're listening, thanks for listening. Haha. And so that sort of brings me as to why I feel Kemonomichi didn't click with me. And that's because I went in wanting this to be a wrestling anime with the sort of pet shop plot being a sidebar. But for an anime about a wrestler, there is very little wrestling in this series. Like, actual wrestling. I... I gotta agree. I, granted, I didn't come into this expecting a a deep, um, I guess you could say a deep, set, a deep, hearty send up of wrestling. I came into it more from a thinking it was gonna be more of a screwball comedy, which is what I got. But even then, I have to agree. I think the show could have used more wrestling, proper wrestling, not just making it a punchline to make Genzo seem even weirder than, than usual. Well, yeah, he uses wrestling moves in fight scenes, but I don't call that wrestling in the traditional sense. There doesn't seem to be anything on the line in those fights. It's just, hey, Genzo's a wrestler. Look what he can do. Exactly. Exactly. It was funny once, but to sort of make that a key point of the show was it was like oh, okay okay that's enough that's enough where's, where's that real wrestling i i wanted to i wanted that real wrestling like come on man i mean there is a funny bit at the beginning where he gives the princess a german suplex and you can see her underpants and they run that joke into the ground i'm gonna get flagged for this but i actually thought it was funny especially that first time where sort of make it they do their best somebody had come out of nowhere and actually i'm gonna have to give them that was it a little bit are they telegraphing it a little yes is it gratifying in sort of a way that if you come here from say uh shield hero or heck even konosuba is it a satisfying subversion of the whole hero meets princess and goes on a quest thing absolutely did they ride a little hard later on in the show maybe i thought it was funny that's sort of the issue that I have with that gag. It was funny the first time, but later on when Genzo meets the princess again, <sighs> they have him do it like five times in one episode and it just gets tired. Uh, definitely. It does five times a little, is a little bit excessive. Although, I have to issue this uh, slight correction from earlier. I'd say that... Once, I think it could have been dialed back a little bit, but also, I think when Carmilla shows up, the whole Genzo suplexing the princess, and then her panties come out, 
it starts to lose some of its edge because Carmilla really sells it because of her personality. Our princess here lacks the personality to really help make it funny. And as far as it not being a wrestling show, let me put this in terms of an acting class or an improv class or writing or anything that involves media or projection. There's a term that is used for writers and for actors and for comedians that tells them to give it their all for any role that they're given. And that is commit to the bit. Even if you are given a terrible role, even if your script is based on such a bad idea, even if the scene is going to be bad, you put in as much effort as you can to, once again, try to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. But the problem is that Kemono Michi doesn't commit to the bit. It has the good idea of putting a fully grown wrestler in an isekai show, but they don't really do anything with it. It's just, hey, he's a wrestler, watch him use wrestling moves on his enemies. There's no real sense of parody of Japanese pro wrestling. And I understand that Japanese wrestling, in terms of how it is presented and kayfabe and all that stuff, is different than American wrestling, but I've seen wrestling parodies done elsewhere in Japanese media, so it can work, but Kemono Michi just decides to stick a wrestler in a fantasy land and then just do nothing with it because it's more committed to Genzo being an animal lover than actually being, you know, a wrestler. At no point does he mention things about, like, title shots or having a big match ahead of him. Like, he does do some wrestling training with the girls later on, but that's to the extent of just him being a wrestler outside of using wrestling moves in fights. I actually... Kind of have to agree with you. I think it was a case of, I don't know if it's because of the show's length, or they just got sidetracked, or what it was. Because I felt, even when I thought it was good, it felt a temporary good. It was like the chewing gum has a really good flavor when it starts out, but then as you chew it, it starts to run out of flavor and become just a paste by the time you are done with it. And there's, even when I thought it was good, it felt fleeting. It felt like there could have been, could have, uh, there could have been smarting up the humor, could have been adding a different joke here and there, or just building on top of what they already had. Could have been more, yes, they could have leaned, I think they could have leaned in more into Enzo's primary job as a wrestler instead of going a little bit toying. I don't even say it's going to get me flamed, but let's, Take the furry baiting uh, sex humor down just a smidge to help balance everything out. Because when the show doesn't go for <laughs> furry yiff humor, it actually start you start to see the bigger picture here. When it um, when it goes all in on the furry gag instead of going in on the contrast of a modern pro wrestler in a fantasy setting, is when things start to slow down. Once again, I think it's because they were trying to fit, obviously, I think they could have had like two or three more episodes, but they could try to fit all that in a 12-episode bag, which sometimes it works. Sometimes, like the Devil's a Part-Timer, it turns into 
to a disaster. I don't think the problem is necessarily the show's length. I just think it's the story and just how unfocused it is, or rather indecisive it is. I know that wrestling fans like to fantasy book for certain scenarios, and and the idea of a wrestler being transported to a magical fantasy land isn't that hard to write, because I can do it myself, and this is how I would have done it. First of all, of course, you take out all the animal-loving stuff, and Genzo is taken to a world that has gladiatorial events. Like in the old days, where you have knights in armor fighting, and he introduces his own martial art called wrestling to the general public. And, you know, have the villains be modeled after legendary Japanese wrestlers. Have the main villainess be an evil queen based off of Dump Matsumoto. Have him fight bad guys like a big orangutan that looks like Giant Baba, or an Oni modeled after Minoru Suzuki, or a group of knights modeled after the Four Pillars of Heaven, an evil wizard based on Keiji Muto. Hell, you want to do a female sidekick? Have Genzo's sidekick be based on wrestling idol Maki Ito. There's tons of ideas from Japanese wrestling that you could use in this show, but they don't use any of them other than his theme sounds like Stan Hansen's, and Animal Mask is a parody of the legendary Japanese wrestling gimmick, Tiger Mask. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be like making a NASCAR show only focusing on, say, them turning left, or just the turn left joke. It, there's a whole lot more to it than that that I think... I have to agree. It, has to, it can be made a bit more integral to the story. And actually, the part about introducing uh, wrestling in a gladiatorial fight got me got me thinking. They sort of teased that partway through the show, but then it went nowhere. I mean, literally, hard stop halfway through the show, and then the show began. It was rather, it was odd, funny, but it was odd. And the final few episodes of the show where they actually do do the wrestling bits, it comes off less as being sincere and more like, oh crap, we forgot, this is a show about a wrestler, let's throw in some wrestling. And it just comes off as being so insincere because they try to bring a modern-looking wrestling product to a fantasy world, and the clash is so awkward. Like, he shouldn't be wrestling in a modern wrestling ring. The wrestling ring should look like something out of the 1900s, when Farmer Burns would wrestle Toots Mont or something like that. Couldn't agree more. Definitely. It's definitely had that weird effect of we're going so fast through everything that by the end they slammed on the brakes because they missed their, they missed something. It's like, oh, we should have I think that uh the, the when Genzo tries to bring wrestling to the village, that should have been early on. I think it should have been like the third or fourth episode. Because then it wouldn't have contrasted everything so badly. Uh, even as someone who like, like, even from a positive standpoint, the contrast is heavy. Sometimes it's funny, but mostly it's it's distracting. I guess that's the best way you can say it. It's distracting, funny, but ultimately very distracting, and something that should have been brought up earlier in the show, so it doesn't feel rushed. How unfocused everything is. It's just a mess from an execution standpoint. 
What does it say when Wanna Be the Strongest in the World is the better wrestling anime than this? Oof. I think that's saying something right there. Your fan service material nails the physics down and does so in a more loving way than a show that had wrestling sponsorship and at least early on tried to be more of a send-up to its wrestling origins. I think it's a problem, really. That's why I think when I, when I got done watching it, it's a good... I gave it a 7 out of 10, actually. This is more like a 5 out of 10 for me. And I guess we should get into our final thoughts, because as much ire as I've given it, I didn't hate Kemono Michi. I don't think it's a bad show, but I also think that it's the worst kind of anime. The kind of anime that is incredibly forgettable. Just this middle-of-the-road comedy where you watch it and you don't remember anything afterward. Exactly. Even on a more positive bent, the worst thing about this show is that it's not more memorable. It could have been more memorable, but it isn't. I mean, really, if you want to watch a wrestling anime that features a masked wrestler with an animal gimmick, go and watch Tiger Mask Double. Couldn't agree more. Didn't you say that you were going to watch Tiger Mask Double, but you missed it? I watched a little bit of it, but I've had to, I've had to dial back my watching because I just moved. Mmm, I know that feeling. If you do want to watch Kemono Michi, it is available from Funimation. It's not an awful show, but I just don't feel that it really lived up to its full potential. And as such, there are other better shows out there, and even other better wrestling anime out there. I mentioned Wanna Be the Strongest in the World and Tiger Mask Double. There's also the other two Tiger Mask shows, the 80s OAV Wannabes, and of course the Masaki Wasa Short Kick Heart. But that's going to do it for this episode. And after two reviews back-to-back of wishy-washy sentiments, I think it's high time that we finally look at something that we can all agree is awesome, giant robots. And like Kemono Michi, this anime also asks an age-old question. What happens when you give a giant robot to a group of salarymen? You get Die Guard, and we'll see if it holds up next time. So thank you all for listening. If you like the show, please be sure to leave a like, subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and your favorite podcatching software. And also, hopefully, I should be starting a Twitch channel up soon, so I'll let you guys know what I'll be doing with that in a bit. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. This is Justin Young. And we're signing off and saying, Eat. Ni. Sun.